I was counseling a teenager a long time ago, and he said to me, quote, Mr. Thomas, you don't wear Walmart to high school. That was it. It was fantastic. It was great. That young man, he basically gave me his theology, how he thought about God and how he lived his life. He said, Mr. Thomas, you don't wear Walmart to high school. In his simple way, he clearly articulated what every human on the planet feels. He's insecure, and he's willing to give up his life choices to group think. You struggle this way. I know you do. So do I. To some degree, in some way, we all measure what the group is thinking or what we think they are thinking or what certain individuals are thinking, and we conform to them. We see it in politics today. We call it self-censoring. We censor ourselves because, well, we just don't want to be bullied. We don't want to be hassled. We don't want to be rejected. I'm not fussing at you if you do that, if you are self-censoring yourself on social media or in other places because of the hostility of the political climate today. But it is a thing, and we do do that. But my friend, my friend here, my teenage friend, it wasn't about politics at all. It was about his small world where he lived in his high school, and he gave me his theology. Mr. Thomas, you don't wear a Walmart to high school. What he was saying is that he has already surveyed the scene. He has determined, he has figured out what cool is, and cool is not wearing Walmart. I did ask him because I wasn't cool, and this was back in the late 90s. I said, well, Since I'm not cool, and actually I like wearing Walmart, when we travel, every time we travel, when we go to our conferences, uh, if we get a souvenir, if we buy the t-shirt, typically we get them in Walmart because you can get cheap t-shirts in Walmart. And so I'm not cool or relevant, and so I asked him what is cool, and he said Abercrombie and Fitch. At that time, I never heard those words. I wasn't familiar with his clothing outfit. And so I checked them out, and oh my. Well, my friend has to wear Abercrombie. He can't wear Walmart because he's insecure. What about you? What is your story? Who has power over you? It might not be a group. It may may be one individual, but you're very guarded. You're measured when you're around this person because, well, they have that kind of power and their opinion matters to you. I'm talking about insecurity. Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. The title of this podcast is The Story of the Boy Who Was Controlled by Others. Now, what I'm not talking about in this podcast, because it typically always comes up when I talk about something like this, and that is abuse. If you are in an abusive situation, you are being controlled by another person, and I'm not saying that that is your fault. If you're in an abusive situation, you need to get out of it. You need to run. You don't care about their opinion or their control. You want to get out from under it. But I'm talking about normal insecurity here, and so let's keep it in context of what this podcast is about if you have questions about abuse or abusive relationships. I have a lot of articles and a lot of podcasts on that, and you can read and listen to them, and you can ask us questions if you wish. But here I'm talking about insecurity, and it plays out in many different ways. 
I told a group of folks at our Houston, Texas conference that when two people date, they are dating each other's representative, not the real person. We call it sometimes putting our best foot forward. We put forward a carefully edited version of ourselves, hoping that the other individual will accept this edited version because we are not sure that they will like the real thing. The truth is you will not know the authentic person that you are dating until marriage. Until then, the person that you're dating is representing the person you're going to marry. And it is important for you to understand this. Every dating couple are representatives. (laughs) They're dating the representative of the real person. It is hard to get behind the curtain, and even, even after you are married, you will not know your spouse entirely. But he or she, and this is a promise, will be different than the person that you dated, and your disappointment in your spouse is proportional to the disparity between the representative that you were dating and the person that you married I hope that is a a warning, not to run you away from marriage, but to, to motivate you to move into the dating relationship and marriage eventually with self awareness, with sobriety, with a lot of discernment, and a push toward transparency and honesty. I do have a book that I just published in the spring of 2019 called Get Ready for Your Best Marriage Now. And I would encourage you to get that. It is a, it's somewhat of an intense dating book. I don't hold back, and I don't recommend this book for, you know, two 15-year-olds or 13-year-olds who are dating who are not going to be married anytime in the near future for years to come. It's not a book for them. It's not that kind of dating book. But it is an excellent book for those who are seriously thinking about dating and marriage. They have a strong desire, and marriage could be in their near future. Well, then I really recommend this book because I do talk about sex and, and those type issues in the book. So it is, it is intense in that way. Uh, it is descriptive. It is practical, and it will be eye-opening for many of you. But here's the point. We hide our real selves from other people. Whether you are a teenager in high school, very concerned about how other people observe you, what they are thinking about you, whether you self-censure yourself about politics and your views because you're conservative and they are not, and so you just keep your mouth shut, I understand, or whether you are dating someone and you're not being totally honest and transparent with the other person. Well, my teenage friend, who's afraid to wear Walmart clothes among his peers, he also suffers from this representative problem. Walmart is not how he wants to represent to those whose opinions have power over him. He wants to represent in a different way, a different kind of way, He wants to represent as an Abercrombie man. It's kind of funny, isn't it? Or maybe ironic. But the Abercrombie man is definitely not who he was. The biblical category for what I'm talking about here is called the fear of man. 
That's what the text says in Proverbs 29:25. There are a few texts in Scripture that you want to memorize. This is one of them. Proverbs 29:25 says, "The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts the Lord, trust in the Lord, is safe." And you see the Hebrew parallelism in that text. The first parallel says the fear of man lays a snare and then up under that it says but whoever trusts the lord is safe and so you pull out the big words in this text fear man snare and then the parallel trust lord safe and so fear is the problem in the heart trust is the solution in the heart fear of man or fear of others the solution is to trust the Lord. The end result, fear of man, leads to a snare. He who trusts the Lord is safe. You see the antithesis in this text. Fear, trust. Man, Lord, snare, safe. Fear is the root cause. That's your starting point. That's what, that is what is in the heart. That's what's going on in your heart. The end result, the behavior is snaring. So fear is the root cause, your starting point. Snaring is the result. If you start with fear, you will end in a trap. And the solution is trust, faith. We're talking about a faith issue. A person who struggles with the fear of others, the fear of man, self-censure, insecurity, concerned about the clothes that they wear, not willing to be transparent and honest in a dating relationship or in a marriage, a person who struggles this way has a crisis in their faith. This is what the Hebrew writer is saying. He who trusts the Lord is safe. The gospel frees us. We have nothing to protect, nothing to hide, nothing to be afraid of. That is what the gospel, that's how the gospel transforms us. And so the writer was right. He who trusts the Lord, faith in God, where your faith in God is greater than your fear of what others may do to you, well, then you are in a safe place, not in a snare. My teen friend chose not to trust the Lord, but to fear, or you could say, to crave the opinions of others. I'm not going to choose the Lord. Well, you're not going to live in this vacuum. You're going to move one way or the other. And if I'm not going to learn, if I'm not going to practice trusting the Lord, then I will be practicing how to be controlled or managed by the opinion of other people. And so the result was that the views of his peers controlled what he thought, which created, created fear in his heart, and it manifests by his clothing choices. Now, the irony here is that I, I'm pretty sure that this group that he was eyeing, this group that he wanted to be part of, at the end of the day, they didn't care about what this man or this boy wore. And now we're some 20 years on the other side of it. I doubt that he could name everybody in the group, and I'm pretty confident that the people in the group would have no idea what I'm sharing right now because they just don't care. But the fear of man, from his perspective, are all the kids at his high school, the, the, the man part, the fear of man. You would say the fear of the kids, the fear of the group. From his perspective, how fear of man played out is that all the kids at his high school, whom he gave the power to accept or to reject, or reject him, 
a craving, drove him for acceptance and simultaneously fear of rejection. On one side, he wants to be accepted by these people. On the other side of the coin, he is afraid of being rejected by these people. And that fear was so great that it controlled him right down to the clothes that he wore or did not wear. He controlled, in essence, how his family, how his parents spent money. His parents could not get him a a Walmart T-shirt. They had to get him a, a $70 or $80 shirt to wear. Many of them, this fear of man thing is not just crippling spiritually, but it's crippling financially in other ways too. The gang in his school had the power, which put the teen, put my teen buddy, it put him in a snare. He was like a puppet on a string. They could give him the thumbs up, yay, we accept you. They give him the thumbs down, we reject you, go change your clothes. Positive means he will get his desire for acceptance, for approval, for significance, for respect. Or they could reject him by, by making fun of him, making fun of his clothes. We see this also with teenagers, that they have to have a, a mobile device, an iPhone or an Android. They have to have a phone. This has, for many of them, most of them, if not all of them to some degree, has as much to do with fear of man as any practical or pragmatic matters to have a phone being accepted by the crowd where the crowd is greater than who God is. What he wore had more power over him than God did. That is a deeply rooted theological problem. A good working definition for insecurity and security, I heard this years ago, don't remember exactly where, But a good working definition of insecurity can be placing your faith, your trust, your hope, your belief, your confidence in something that can be taken away. That's the definition for insecurity, placing your faith in something that can be taken away. You see, my teenage friend placed his faith in groupthink, and groupthink is depending on the day. It's very fluid. It can, it can move. It's not steady. Thus, he was never steady because he never knew from day to day if they would give him what he wanted. His faith was in something that could be taken away. They could take their approval away from him, or they could reject him. And so he had to always measure. He looked out over the scene. He surveyed it. He saw what had to happen in order to be received by these people, which made him insecure. Now, of course, a good working definition of security is placing your faith, your trust, your hope, your belief, your confidence in something that cannot be taken away. There are some things that can never be taken away from you. There's two of them specifically. One of them is the living Lagos, the living Word of God. His name is Jesus. 
If you are born again, he has saved you. You've been regenerated by the power of God. You are in God's hand, and no one can ever take you out. You are secure because your faith is in something, in this case, a person that can never be taken away. The other thing is the written lagos. God's Word, it is eternal, never will move. No matter how much they try to change it, dismiss it, marginalize it, disown it, God's Word is eternal. The living Logos and the written Logos can never be taken away. And if your faith is in Christ based on what we learn from God's Word, then you, that is as secure as you can possibly be. But unfortunately, my teen friend placed his faith in something that others could take from him, which was the accepting opinion of his peer group. Their view of him was driving him, and he knew it. He also knew that their opinion could change from day to day, season to season, so he closely monitored their attitudes, their words, to ensure he stayed in the good favor of controlling friends. His faith was in something that could be taken away, and that leads to insecurity every time. The irony here is that, as I mentioned, the peer group had no idea how insecure he was, and you need to think about that. They did not realize how his twisted, what his twisted perspective of them was. Now, as I sat and talked with him, if I were to sit and talk to you, I would have some questions that I would want to ask you. And you can read these questions here in this podcast. The title of the podcast is The Story of the Boy Who Was Controlled by Others. The first question that I would ask, and you might not ask it this way, But just in this podcast and between you and me, you may have to soften it and stretch it out and have somewhat of a long entry to get into this question. But ultimately, the question is, in its most concise form, what is wrong with God? What is your problem with God? Obviously, you're more managed by the views of others than God's perspective of you. You're making volitional choices every day, and you always choose people to be your functional, controlling God. Why are people having more control of you? You're standing at a crossroad, and you have the option to choose. Am I going to choose to situate my identity and who God is and who God thinks, who, who God says that I am and how God views me? Or am I going to go the other way and I'm going to situate my identity in the vacillating opinions of people or a person, an individual? That's why I say that the most concise question that you ask, I mean, what is, what is wrong with God or what is your problem with God? Now, we know, obviously, that there's nothing wrong with God, but through his lens... Through his glasses, not yours, he's looking at God and he's seeing a problem. And the three follow-up questions are basically what I'm asking. I I said it a couple times already. There's a crisis in his faith. There's something wrong with his faith. God is not stabilizing him. That's why I would say, what is your problem with God? Some of the other ways that you can address this, you could say, are you you angry at God? Meaning you have long-term 
long-term disappointment in your life and how things are, where you are in life, this long-term unabated disappointment with your life is a commentary of, of how you think about God and how you are relating to Him because God gives us overcoming power. He gives us victorious strength. He gives us the, the ability uh, to live well in His world. Greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. But if we are not appropriating the grace of God so that we can, can live in the goodness of God in our lives, then well, maybe the anger that I'm talking about is not this volatile anger, but this unabated, long-term disappointment that God is not... You're living in the parallel of sovereignty and suffering, and suffering has more power over you, and so you're disappointed. You're making a commentary about God. Are you angry? Are you afraid of Him? And that is a realistic question that we do want to ask because we can very well be afraid of God in the sense as we read how God interacted with people throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see that he is he's an unusual God. And there are things that he calls us to. There's places that he leads us to. And if we are not fixated on his sovereignty and divine love for us, we can find ourselves destabilized in the moment and controlled by our circumstances or other people. Do you have these fears about God? It's hard to trust someone that you're disappointed with. It's hard to trust someone when you have low-level fear about him. Or maybe it's a more basic question when you're trying to unpack the issue that you have with the Lord. Do you know him? Do you actually have a relationship with him? Or maybe you went through the formality of being born again, asking Jesus in your heart, whatever that means. And you had this moment with God, but you haven't been walking with him. Perhaps you don't know him. Well, it's hard to trust someone that you don't know. Can you clearly articulate who God is and who he is, uh, how he has affected your life, how he's regenerated you, and how you are appropriating his grace in your life and sanctification? Do you know him? And so these are three follow-up questions that I would ask. Talk to me about this low-grade anger that you have with the Lord. Talk to me about this low-grade fear as you think about the Lord. Talk to me about your understanding of who He is. All three of these things will truncate, hurt, can even cripple a person's faith. Why are you more concerned about the opinion of man than the perspective of God? Maybe you can turn it around and ask it this way. Why are you more concerned about people's approval if Christ has accepted you? You can think about it like this. You're in Christ. Your identity is in Christ. You have been regenerated, born from above. You, you're transformed. You have definitive sanctification. You have everything that you need for life and godliness. But yet you're, it's, it's like you're running out of the body of Christ and running over here somewhere else to the group or the individual and rather than resting in the acceptance and the approval and the total lack of rejection that you have in Christ, you're trying to seek those things from other people. Why are you so concerned about people's approval if Christ has accepted you? Now, perhaps you haven't been saved. You haven't been regenerated. Well, that 
there's the answer to the problem. You'll always be managed by other people because God is not managing you. He is not controlling you. The point here is that an insecure person needs to go back to the gospel and rethink about specifically the implications of the cross the gospel is like a multifaceted diamond. We could, we could think about the, the resurrection, which is an aspect of the gospel, the life of Christ, the pre-life, the pre-earthly life of Christ, the eternality of Christ. There's many aspects of the gospel, but I'm saying that an insecure person needs to go back to the gospel and rethink specifically about the implications of the cross Jesus dying on the cross to make an atonement, to pay for your sins, to take your place, to free you. The judge declaring you not guilty. You have been free for freedom. God has set us free, and you're not under the chains of bondage, and so you don't want to be going back to that bondage of people's opinions when God gives you freedom. There's a reason my teen friend is not turning to God, and I wanted to know what it is. He who trusts the Lord will be safe. But he was rejecting God for some reason, and because of that, he was not secure. Ed Welch wrote an excellent book that I would recommend to you if you struggle in the ways that I've been describing here in this podcast. The title of the book is called When People Are Big and God is Small, and This is probably a paraphrase. It may be the exact quote. I don't remember, but you can get the book and you can fact check it. But Ed Welch would say, what we have here is a modern-day Samson. Samson's strength was in his hair. If you cut his hair, he loses his strength. That's where the power was in his hair. Well, my friend's strength was in his T-shirt. If you take his name brand cool t-shirt away and give him a Walmart t-shirt, he would melt like butter on a hot day. His strength was in his shoes. His strength was in his clothes. Samson's strength was in his hair. You don't want to live like that. You'll always be insecure. Here's the call to action, and then we'll finish up again. If you want to read this, The story of the boy who was controlled by others. You can go to our website, rickthomas.net. Look for that title. It's a short story of what I've just shared with you. I do have some uh, action points that I hope that if you struggle this way, that that you will consider implementing them uh, into your life. And so let me begin by asking this question. Do you struggle with insecurity? Now, before you answer the question, that was a trick question. Of course you do. We all do. All of us who were born in Adam, which is all of us, we're hiding behind our fig leaves. We have a sense of shame and guilt and fear that that runs under the current of our lives. It's always there, and we're always hopefully applying the teaching of God's Word to our lives so we can be more stabilized in God's world. And so when I say, do you struggle with insecurity? Of course you do. To some degree, some of you have have really gained victory over this, and you're living in a greater freedom, but we're all tethered in some way, somehow, to what people think about us. And so the better question is, how, how much do the views of others manage you? 
Or does your reputation have more control of you than your identity in Christ? We like to build out our reputations. We like to have all the accoutrements that communicate uh, who we are. What we're doing is we're sculpting out our, our our representative that we're presenting to the world. I want you to think about this. I want you to reflect on it. How does your reputation have more control of you? more than your identity in Christ. Here are a few things that I would appeal to you to consider as you work through your struggle with insecurity. Number one, study the embedded articles that I have in this one. I have three embedded articles here. One of them is our our most comprehensive teaching on the fear of man. In fact, it represents an article in my book, Change Me. Change Me, the Ultimate Life Change Handbook, uh, it's so important. This book has our most important articles in it, and that's why this article, A Practical Plan to Overcome the Fear of Others, is in it. Now, in this article, if you click on it, you'll have multiple graphics and videos, audio, and a lot of written text, and you could spend a long time studying that, and I would encourage you to do it. I have two others that are embedded here, and so I would appeal to you to study the embedded articles in this one. I also have another link here. I want you to read Carrie's story about how he lost his family while in search for significance. And then I have a link here to Ed Welch's book, When People Are Big and God is Small. It is a must-read for every Christian. And then I have a video here. It's a short video, about 10 minutes, I guess. And I would encourage you to watch it. Just click on it. It'll play for you right inside this article. Click on it. Study it pull out your paper or get your computer screen ready and take notes. And then what I want you to do is I want you to share these things, all these things that you've watched and listened to and studied. I want you to share them with a close friend and ask them to help you. And then if you're at a place where you still want to engage more with us, then I would encourage you to do that. We have community forums that you can jump on, and it would be our pleasure to to serve you that way. But your first call to action is to read this article, the story of the boy who was controlled by others. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.